Well, let's turn to God's Word now. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of John. And our passage for this morning gives considerable space to the topic of faith, which is what we're going to be reflecting on this morning. When I was thinking about this topic this week, it struck me that this word means so many things to so many different kinds of people. To some people, the word faith simply is a way of designating yourself as a spiritual person, as in saying, I'm someone of faith. To others, it means a leap of faith, and faith can be in conflict with reason and evidence, and you have things like faith versus science. For others, faith is simply a synonym of being religious, and you can be part of an interfaith movement or an interfaith organization. And thinking about this topic, it brought to mind a story that I recently shared with somebody, and uh, this comes from my early experiences in seminary, and seminary was a time for me that involved a lot of introspection and processing, and, and there was some level of discouragement uh, during the years there, and this was an especially discouraging night. And I was uh, by myself, and it was dark and cold outside, and I was laying in bed and <laughs> looking up at the ceiling, and I remember just thinking, I really want somebody to give me a hug right now. And I want somebody to give me a hug, and I thought, maybe God will give me a hug. <laughs> so, so I said in an audible voice, I said, God, would you give me a hug? Now, of course, God's an invisible spirit with no extensionality. How he would do that would be kind of a, a strange and difficult thing, but I really believed that God could give me a hug. Well, the minutes turned into hours, and I grew more and more discouraged, and eventually I fell asleep, sad and, and uh, upset, and I woke up early next morning to go meet a guy who was mentoring me. And uh, we met at McDonald's at 5 in the morning. And I walk in, and I'm half awake. And, and uh, he gets up, and he greets me. And he says, John, I had this very strange dream last night. God asked me to give you a hug. And I don't know what that means, or that sounds really weird. But I really feel like i got to give you a hug. And so he gave me a hug right there. And uh, it was very special, and obviously made a connection with the night before. And, and But reflecting back on it, that, that night, faith probably meant to me something like sincerity. I was very sincere, and so God would meet me in that. Faith is a very important thing for many of us, and it's also something very easy to misunderstand, and that's why we're going to spend uh, a few moments taking a deeper look at what Scripture has to say. If you have a bulletin with you, uh, our passage is printed in there. If you want to read from your Bible, we're going to be reading from John 6, verses 22 through 34. So would you follow along with me? On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what that, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand together. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that over the next few moments it would be to us a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. We pray in your name and your power. Amen. Well, uh, this has been a very rich section of the Gospel of John, and, and there are many meaty and interesting things I would love to talk about, uh, but we're going to dial in on some of the highlights today. We're going to strictly deal with things that have to do with the topic of faith, and there's three things we're going to highlight, and that is what faith actually is, what hurts our faith, and then how do we grow our faith. So let's start in that order. If you're looking for a simple definition of faith, it could be something like this. Faith is acknowledging the things that Jesus says are true, and it's depending on him to rescue us all that's wrong with ourselves and the world. Faith is both seeing Jesus and receiving Jesus. You see this in verse 29 of our passage when it says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now this is a very dramatic statement right here. Because what God is saying is that out of all the things he could demand of us, out of all the things he could potentially ask of us, he only wants one thing from us, and that is to believe in his son. Now, for some of us, this may sound like a very overwhelming request. We think to ourselves, my faith is so weak, how am I supposed to have more of it? But for others of us, it may seem very simple or underwhelming. We say to ourselves, I'm supposed to sacrificially love people, pray, go to church, all these things, and I only have to do one thing. And there's a little bit of both going on. The Christian life really is this simple, that all that's asked of us is to believe. And yet this is also weighty and significant because it gets at the very core of who we are. So what is this faith actually? Well, there's two parts of it. There's one part of it involves looking at ourselves, and another part involves looking out at God. The part of us that involves looking at ourselves means admitting that there is something powerless and ineffective about ourselves. Reminds me of the first step of any 12-step program, which is to say that there is something that has become unmanageable about our lives. I love that phrase, unmanageable. And this is the hardest and most important of any of the 12 steps. And we have to do something like this. We have to look and say, the ways that I wrong people are also ways that I wrong God. And that impulses I have inside myself towards arrogance, towards vengefulness, are not things I can fix on my own. We have to give up any pretense towards living a self-generating existence. But there's the other side, not only looking at ourselves, but looking at God. And that means that God has stands in the gap for us. There's many ways we can understand this. And one way that's been especially compelling for me has to do with understanding the idea of a ransom. A ransom, the way we're used to talking about it, means that some offending party places this ransom or payment on the offended party. And so if things want to be restored and fixed, the offended party has to end up paying the ransom. And yet, in a biblical view, a ransom is actually the exact opposite. A ransom is something that the offended party puts on the offender. And it's not supposed to be a burden to them. It's actually meant to be a grace that opens up relationship. And it's meant to spare the offending party, the person in the wrong, a more serious punishment. So this is what it means for Jesus to be our ransom. It means that he's opened a way for us to come back home to his father. 
It means that he's trying to spare us the more serious consequences of our sins and that everything is free in his kingdom. Faith has both these things in mind. We look at ourselves and say, I'm not enough, but then we look at God and say, God is enough. And maybe some of you are looking at your Bibles and wondering, why in the world is faith described as a work? That seems to be a problem. Faith and works are supposed to be in contrast with each other. A faith is something that where you're relying on God to endear himself to you, and a work is the way that you endear yourself to God. What's going on here? But I think what John is trying to get at is that faith is something that we need to be working on our whole life. It's a lifelong project. Faith in Jesus is something that characterizes our entire life. I heard it put this way, that believing the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A through Z of the Christian life. And as you grow as a Christian, you don't do new and different things. You actually just dig down deeper into things that you're already doing. Since faith is one of the main things that God's asked from us, we have to ask the question, why do we seem to have little, so little faith? And that leads to our next point. What are the barriers to faith? And a couple of things stand out in this passage. One is that many times faith is really a way of bargaining with God. And the formula looks something like this. Because I prayed and asked God for something, I was sincere and believed him, God will go on to do this thing. This is what we find the crowd doing with Jesus. Jesus has literally fed thousands of them, and they're going, chasing after him, looking for another free meal. And then they have one of these moments kind of where they say, you know, uh, <laughs> this is what came to mind when I was reading this, but you know, when you go looking for somebody, and you're, and you're kind of like, it's, it's almost a little too much, you're looking for somebody, and then you find them, and you're kind of self-conscious, you know, and, and so you kind of pretend like you accidentally found them. You know, this is what the crowd is doing with Jesus. Like, they're literally crossing the entire Sea of Galilee, and then they have one of these, oh, what are you doing here, Jesus, moments. And, and so they have this, what are you doing here, Jesus, moment. And he, he knew what was going on. And then in verse 30, he says this. He said to them, what sign do you do? And what, they said this to him, what sign do we do, do you do? They'll help us to see and believe in you. What they were really asking was this bargaining formula. They were saying, whatever this faith thing is you want from us, We'll do it as long as it gets us more bread. Jesus tells them that they're really missing the point. This reminds me of an embarrassing example of a bargaining situation I came across recently. And, and for me, uh, being late to appointments causes a tremendous amount of anxiety. I get extremely anxious being late to something. And so I was heading to an appointment. And I knew I was going to be late. And I, I pull into this giant parking lot. And there's the building where I need to be and a large parking lot that's completely full of cars. And I had this dilemma. I, do, I, do I take the risk and park near the front where I might actually make it on time? Or do I, am I going to be a few minutes late parking in the back? And so I knew what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to pray. And I asked God, and I said, you know, God, I'm going to give you a home run here. You just got to open up a parking spot. I'm going to be super thankful and grateful. And this is going to be, it's about you, it's about me too. And this is going to be, uh, we're both going to... Um, get something out of this. And so I prayed and I turned right towards the building and I'm looking for, you know, reverse lights and I'm looking for empty spots. And as I'm driving down, I'm having this kind of same sinking, you know, anxiety that I was having during, during the waiting for God to give me a hug kind of moment. I'm like, this is not going to happen. And the anxiety is just bubbling out. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. So bad. And as soon as I turn to go park in the back of the parking lot, a car reverses right behind me and another car pulled right in. So... And it was, um, you know, a, a dumb example, but we, 
we have this kind of bargaining faith with God all the time. And I, I think the difference between a genuine faith and a bargaining faith is, is something like this. A genuine faith says, all things are possible through God. But a bargaining faith says, all my dreams are possible through God. Bargaining is one of our barriers to real faith. But the problem runs deeper than this. It's that we end up sometimes having faith in the very wrong person. We have faith in the wrong Jesus. One of the ways you see this in Scripture is in the story of the golden calf. And if you don't know the story of the golden calf, uh, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And Israel's getting a little angsty, and they're saying, oh, we've got to get this process moving. And so they decide to build a golden calf. And they, the interesting thing about it is that they think that calf is actually God himself. They're not, you know, giving up on Yahweh, but they're trying to have, believe in a, a different expression of Yahweh. And then Moses comes down and he says, that's not me. What are you doing? You're believing in the wrong person. And we do something like this. Uh, one example I think is common is sometimes when we're bringing a fault to the Lord and we're, we're hoping to find God's uh, compassion and forgiveness, we, we view God the Father as a very angry, vindictive, vengeful person, and that Jesus, his son, is kind of the compassionate, merciful counterpart of the Trinity. And in confession, we're trying to get Jesus, nice Jesus, to make uh, things right with his angry father. And the problem, of course, this is not the appreciating the oneness of the Trinity. It's more of a tritheism, believing of three gods, not three persons. And the solution to believing in the wrong Jesus is something uh, involving learning doctrine, learning right teaching about who God is. Doctrine is, is a lot like kind of a, a lens or a, a spectacle that helps correct our bad vision so that we can actually see what we're believing in. So barriers of faith are involved bargaining with God and believing in the wrong Jesus. And this leads us to our last point, though, of how do we actually cultivate faith? How do we actually get this right? And one crazy little fact about this passage uh, so interesting is that Jesus literally took a kid's lunch, and he fed thousands of people. You know, if, if I saw this, I would be, I'm in. <laughs> you know, I don't need to know anything else. I'm in. You've got me. And yet, what the passage says is this wasn't enough for the crowd to have a real gospel-believing faith. And I think for many of us, we kind of say, like, hey, I would really believe if God would just speak to me in an audible voice. He can do it. Why doesn't he do it, you know? Or why doesn't, he, you know, why doesn't he appear in some kind of visible, dramatic, kind of transfiguration kind of way to me? Like, I would really believe if he did that. And, but I really have the suspicion if that happened, we'd probably be a lot like the crowd. You know, we'd probably see the miracle but not see what the miracle was pointing to. We might have a lot of other ways of missing the point. The one thing our passage does say positively, though, about growing faith is it, it doesn't, we don't have to have dramatic uh, miraculous, extraordinary experiences. And one of the ways that we do cultivate faith, though, is through the church. And uh, at the very end of our, this discourse in John 6, we find that Jesus is actually doing all this teaching in the synagogue. He's teaching people about God and him and his ways uh, in the church. And so for us, our faith is cultivated in the church as well. And the amazing thing about the church is that you don't have to believe to belong. Sometimes people believe and then they belong, but for a lot of people, it's the other way around. They belong, and then they end up believing. And that's because there's this interesting little secret in the church that belonging has a way of cultivating belief. And so if you want to believe, an important question to be asking is, do you belong somewhere? 
Is there a local church that you're a part of? Do you have friendships with Christians? And are you guys talking about spiritual things? This is a good starting point. But there are things specifically in the church that help grow our faith. And one of the beautiful things is that it's actually the rituals of the church. There are all sorts of sacramental connotations in this passage. Communion language is being used in the breaking of the bread for the 5,000. Manna recalls to us the Passover and the Exodus. And the sealing of Jesus is likely a reference to his baptism. There is connection to the rituals of God's people. And it's long been part of the Presbyterian heritage that we've believed that these rituals have a way of actually growing and cultivating our faith. One of the things that we're told is that the baptism is supposed to be a reminder for us of our identity in Christ. And it's supposed to fortify us in times of temptation. That the Lord's Supper is a kind of spiritual food and nourishment. It's meant to strengthen our faith. The sacraments not only give expression to faith, but they strengthen it as well. So how do we actually live this out? I think Jesus' miracles give us a clue. They were supposed to be signs. They're supposed to point to something, and this is what the crowd was missing. You're not just supposed to see the miracle, but you're supposed to see through it to what's being pointed at. And these rituals are very intentionally made out of very earthy material kinds of things. Right there, it's bread and wine and water. And these are things that you can touch and see. And they're supposed to kind of solicit our attention. When, when things are happening and being broken and poured and all this, we're supposed to be kind of sitting up on our seat looking at this and noticing it and considering it and reflecting on it. As we do this for weeks and we do this for years, these earthy kind of symbolic things have a way of cultivating in us genuine faith. It's also been part of the tradition uh, of the church that there's a certain level of preparation that needs to happen for the church service. As we come into God's presence, we're actually in some way preparing ourselves to be next to him. I've seen a lot of different interesting things. One way that people put this into practice is by regularly confessing their sins. On, uh, on Saturday night, people might spend a little bit of space and they would say, you know, have I wronged anyone this week? Is there any, any relationship I need to go work on uh, over the next, uh, this evening or the, the following day. Other times, people uh, work on cultivating a certain kind of mindfulness with them in church. Mindfulness is just being aware of, of the things you're doing with your body and what, they, what they're connected to. And so they'll carve out a certain kind of quiet space in the morning on a Sunday uh, to help bring with them a certain mindfulness. And one thing is I do promise you, if you come, if you work on some kind of preparation, whatever it is, this will end up paying dividends for you later on. You will see God in new ways as you prepare, however that happens to be. But for some, this may be a defeating thought because life is too busy and crazy to find time for mindfulness and getting a young family out the door can be too much of a hassle to worry about preparing for worship. And so we have to end with uh, what might be a, a deeper hope. And this is in verse 33. It says, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this phrase, bread of God, is used to describe the bread of presence in the Old Testament. And this was 12 separate loaves that were placed in the holy place of the temple, this very sacred place. And they represented Israel. And so by having them in this sacred place, they were a reminder that God was always going to have Israel as his people and that they were in a state of perpetual blessing uh, because of those 12 loaves. The interesting thing about our passage is that Jesus is now saying, I'm this bread of presence. He's saying that in some real way, I'm in the holy place 
And I'm representing all of you guys to the Father. And what that means for us is that we don't need to worry about on a Sunday morning, is my faith strong enough? Is it going to be acceptable? Instead, what we have confidence in is that God is actually in our place, offering his total love and delight to his Father. And then as God sits on the throne beholding his Son, he is being reminded of us as well. Today is Palm Sunday where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem. And if you want an image to understand who this Jesus is, there's probably nothing more beautiful. Here he is. He's coming. He's a king coming to his people, but his people have forgotten him. But he comes to them not on a war horse looking to conquer, but he comes to them on a donkey hoping to find peace with his enemies. Let's give our hearts to this king this morning. Let's pray together.